One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Good morning again, everyone. <clears throat> it's good to be with you again and to be able to stand before you and talk to people who love the Lord and who want to know more about God and more about Jesus and more about our service to Him. Now, the text that was read, obviously Jesus had a lot of detractors, a lot of people coming to him and asking him questions and hoping in some way that they might trip him up. In some way they might get him to admit something that he uh, was reluctant to admit, of course, and that would be error, and they, they did not find that in him. But in this text, in Mark chapter 12, it said that one of the scribes asked him, heard him talking and asked him about questions, which is the first commandment of all, or which is the most important commandment? His, his response was to love the Lord your God. But first of all, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And then he said, You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, because this was the first. Now, Matthew's account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, are giving an account of some of the same things that Jesus said and did. And so, some add some things that, that the other did not include in what they said. And so Matthew says this in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 38. He said, When the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment? Now he added that context, didn't he? He, he didn't say which is the most important one or which is the first one. He said, which is the great commandment or the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus said you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. First and greatest. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. As we understand the Ten Commandments, we're aware that a command, which is an order to be acted upon, indicates a responsibility to react in compliance with that statement. If it's a commandment, that means we have some responsibility that we have to react to it in a positive way. We have to do what the commandment requires of us. We're expected to respond positively. Jesus is referring to a statement made by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, when he said, and that's the song we sang a while ago, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You remember, and Luke said, with all your strength. So actually, he's talking about all the components of our inner being. You have to be all in, is what he's saying. You have to be all in. You can't reserve any part of yourself from God. With all your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything. All, all, all that there is to you, you have to love the Lord your God that way. Now, in the broadest sense of our understanding about love, we generally reason that love is an emotion. Somehow we have to have an emotional attachment to God. 
Somehow we have to feel something about God, not just that. He said, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength, all your vigor, yourself, everything. Everything that you have should be committed to God, basically. We feel an attraction. We should feel an attraction to God. We should, should be emotionally connected to Him, attracted to Him. He appeals to us, should appeal to us. However, obedience is not a normal emotional reaction. When someone says, you've got to love me, your response is, why should I? Why should I love you? What, what is there about you that's lovable? That's really our reaction, isn't it? Whenever someone de demands that we love them, our reaction is to draw away and not get closer. We don't want to get close to the person who says, come over here and love me. Watch the little kid sometimes. Come give me a kiss, someone demands. The little guy says, no, I'm not going to, and off they go. Well, that's obvious, isn't it, that, that love has to have some sort of an impulse and some sort of a reaction. So we have to have a reason, or at least we feel like we have to have an emotional attachment. We have to have that reason to love. And it goes beyond a simple attraction. Now, we want to, want to say this. Our, if love is an emotional response to something that appeals to us, then that reaction may or may not become permanent. What I'm saying is, oftentimes, the, the attraction or the appeal of someone that we are attracted to is simply a veneer. You know what a veneer is? It's an overlay, a thin overlay of material over something else that's of a different material. Okay? So oftentimes a person can be very charming, very appealing, until you get to know them better. Then you find out that the charm and appeal is a veneer. It's not really what they are or who they are. So the attraction can be false, and it can be dangerous, and it can be disappointing. Here's someone that we, quote unquote, fall in love with because of what we see on the veneer. But the basic character of the individual is a great deal different, and that spells a tragedy. Because love that is committed to someone like that is eventually is betrayed, and then that love turns to something that is disappointing. A physical appeal may be just the veneer that overlays the character that lies beneath. People to whom we are attracted by physical appeal or behavior will sometimes turn out to be entirely different individuals. Some of these differences are tragic in their nature. Broken homes, broken marriages, broken relationships, broken friendships, all because the attraction was on the surface and did not go below the surface. And when the surface came to the surface, then all of a sudden the attraction disappears. There's no axiom, and that axiom is that uh, love is blind, and sometimes it is. That appeal is blind because it doesn't look at the things that are obvious to many other people and not obvious to the person that's in love. But let's agree with what this text means. 
that there's every reason for us to commit our entire being to God. Every reason. His appeal to us is not a veneer. His appeal to us runs as deep as eternity itself. Everything about God is appealing. Everything about God is attractive. Everything about God that we know about God, even in nature or in revelation, is attractive and should get the response of love. Our intellect, our reason, our emotions, our vigor of our heart, mind, and soul committed to God will never be disappointing. You'll never be disappointed by it. Think about this just a minute with me. The preamble to this statement, when Jesus was asked the question, which is the first of the greatest commandment, which is the most important commandment, he said, did you get it? He said, the Lord our God is one. That's the commandment. He didn't say love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul first. What he said was, the Lord our God is one. Now that's interesting. Because when he asked, when the question was asked, what's the greatest commandment? That's the response Jesus gave. And that's the statement made in the Old Testament in, in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. That says the Lord our God is one God. He's one. There's no other. God is the only living God. He is the creator. He is God is. So I'm, I'm giving you reasons why you should love God with everything you have because God is. That's the first reason Jesus gave. First thing he said, God is one. Look at Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6 through 8. And what we're saying is that God is the only living God. He's the only creator, and there are none others beside him. Everything that exists belongs to him and is him. Okay? You should love God because God is. Because God is. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. None. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear you not, neither be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and have declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. There's none other. Why should we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul? Because God says, I am. Because I am. That's why you should love me. In uh, Deuteronomy 5 verse 9, the text says, God is a jealous God. There are no other gods. And you're not to make any image to any other god of any form because he said, I'm the only one. I am the only living God, only living and true God. Isaiah 45, verse 18 says, Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he has established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Only me. For he said whom should we love? The Lord your God because He is one. He is the only God. The only one that you could love. He's not the Egyptian God Ra or Osiris. 
He's not the Greek god Zeus or Apollos. Not them. He's not the Hindu god Shiva. He's not, he's not the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl. Our God is one. This is just one. And he's not to be shared. So he said, love me because I'm he. Just sometimes, let me see if I can get this a little more distinguishable. Why should you love your father and mother? Because they are your father and mother. They're the only ones. You don't have two mothers. You don't have two fathers. You have one mother, one father. Why should you love them? Because they are your parents. Because. You shall love the Lord your God because I am, he said. Love me because I am. I'm God. I'm the only one. Now, there's a reason why we love him. There are other attractions to him. But first of all, if you're going to love anybody, you can't love anybody but God. You can't give yourself to anybody but God. And and you can't give yourself to uh, Thor. You can't give you can't give yourself to any of the Babylonian gods, the Baal, Ashtaroth. There are no other gods. He's the only one. He's the only one to love. So if there's any love to be given of yourself, it must be given to him. Isaiah 48, verse 12 and 13 says, Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my, my cult. I'm he. I am the first. I also am the last. My hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. He's the creator. Now, your mother and your father spawned you. You came about because an embryo connected with an egg and eventually you, you came out as a human being but my friend God created you your mother and father did not it, it, an idiot can have a child someone who's dumb as a rock can have a child it's not that, that intelligent an activity anyone can have a child if they're fertile and if their sperm is active they, they can have a child but no one can create a brain, a human brain. No one can create stereoscopic sight. No one can create hearing that's, that is surround sound. No one can create a liver that cleanses your blood. No one can create a stomach that digests your food and provides oxygen and, and material for life. No one can build proteins for you. Only God created you. God created you. Now, your parents spawned you, but God created you. All they did, they were in the hands of God, and they provided the implement necessary, the materials necessary to produce you. But God is your creator. He's the one. So who should you love? Get it? Who should should you give yourself to? Completely, totally. God. He's your creator. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, say unto them, God of our fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to you, to you what, what's, what's his name? They'll say to me, Moses said. They're going to ask me, what's his name? And he, he said, uh, God said to Moses, I am that I am. I'm God. That's what Jesus called himself in John 8, verse 58. I am. I'm not created. You didn't make me. 
And by the way, you did not make yourself. I made you. So the question is, what sort of loyalty should we have? What sort of loyalty should we have to God? We should have complete, absolute loyalty to Him and subservience to Him because He created me. He made me. If it weren't for God, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't either. Nothing would be here. God is the creator. He is the magnificent creator of everything. So the question is, what's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. That's the first. And you should love me. You need to love me. God demonstrated who he was. Now sometimes, as we read the Old Testament, be careful. Sometimes we get to the point where we question his judgment. Why did he do this? Why did he do that? Because he knows a whole lot more than we do about things. Why doesn't he why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't he do that? That's not for us to question. The question is, is he God? Yes he is. Did he create us? Yes he did. Now God did not create disease. God created the cure for disease. You see what I'm saying? God did, God did not create the evil. He created the panacea against evil. God created that which is good for us, not that which is evil. He demonstrated who he was and hence expected his people to love him. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, and people didn't always love him. People don't love him today, but why? He is God. He is our creator. He's the one who made us and put us here. And by the way, Look at all the wonderful things God created for you to enjoy. When you see a sunset that just blows you away, you know what? God did that so you could enjoy it. He did that for you. Really? When you look at a great field of beautiful flowers, of various colors, just bursting with color, you know what? God created that for you to enjoy. That was for you. He wants you to enjoy his creation. He created the world for us. While we're here, we can enjoy it. That's all for our benefit. Okay. Why should I love him? Every time I see a sunset, I should say, Lord, you, that's wonderful. I love that. That's beautiful. Every time I see a snowy-capped range of mountains, I think, wow, that, that's, that just stuns me. You know what? God said, I did that for you, Bill. So you can enjoy your life. People run around all over the country, all over this continent, all other continents, looking at the wonderful things that God has created. And you know what? God did it for us, so we should enjoy it. And we do. Because God did it, I love him for it. I love him because he is my creator. Some didn't. Israel had all the benefits, and yet... Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 says, Today if you'll hear his voice, listen to him, he's talking to Israel. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work for 40 years. I was grieved with that generation said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Just don't know him. However good he is, whatever wonderful things he did, I'm just not going to acknowledge it. I don't care about that. He is our creator, and he is our father. The very fact that he is our creator and that he created all things for our benefit should elicit appreciation 
and a deep emotional tie. He is our Father. After all, He is our Father. He's our God. Psalms 68, the psalmist sang about this all the time. He sang about it because it just impressed him in his soul that his God, God created him and created everything for him. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rides upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him, a father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows. I like him already, don't you? He is God in his holy habitation. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, Though there be many that are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, Father of all, of whom are all things, we in Him, and one Lord Jesus, by whom are all things, and we by Him. He is in us, my friends. Paul said it one time, he said, He's not very far from every one of us. Not very far away. He's always around. He's with us. He is our God. He is our Creator. Ephesians 4, 6, He is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all. Get it? And in you all. We are made in the image of God, created in His image. And He's in us. Why shouldn't we love Him? I didn't create you. You didn't create me. And I didn't come out of a slime hole of mud and, and become a living being. Not at all. There's no evidence whatsoever on this earth ever there's a lot of theories about evolution, but none of them stand pat and none of them have any bearing whatsoever on fact and veracity. Design and a designer is everything that God is and he designed you for who you are and how you are and you're a marvelous creation. Everything around you is designed with marvel. Now, why should I love God? Just by looking at you, I can love him. I can be attracted to him because I'm attracted to you. You're his creation. Okay. In addition to which, God is good. God is good. I'm attracted to good people, aren't you? I certainly am. God has attractive qualities that are not simply a veneer. His, his attraction doesn't overlay an entire different character. He is good through and through. By that is meant that every action of God toward man is beneficial to man, whether we understand it or not. Every action of God is beneficial to humanity. Everything that he does, not everything the devil's done, but everything God has done is attractive and it's good. He only acts out of a quality of goodness toward humanity for our sakes. In Psalms chapter 34, verse 2 through 9, David said, My soul will make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He heard me, delivered me from all my fears. They looked upon him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him, and he delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. O fear the Lord, O ye saints, there is no want of fear of those who love him. A good man is attractive. A good woman is attractive. A person with compassion for others, that's attractive. That's compelling. That makes me want to love. I love, 
I love good, compassionate, honest, decent people. I do. A person who responds to the needs of the unfortunate. I love those type of people. I do. I'm attracted to them. I'm attracted to them. One who can be counted on to act conscientiously toward those who depend upon them. Someone who is dependable. They're attractive. And they compel us to love them. God is attractive because he's good. Everything about God is good. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. God is completely fair with everyone. And that's good. And that's attractive. Matthew 5.45 says that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. He makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Paul and Silas were preaching and uh, they'd gone to the city of Antioch. And while they were preaching, everybody saw that they were doing some wonderful things and so they decided they'd offer some sacrifices to them and they'd call them gods. And uh, Paul said, Sir, why do you do these things? We are men of like passions like you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. So they were following following idols. And... uh, and the sea and all that in them is, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their, or in their own ways. Nevertheless, they're talking about God. He left not himself without witness in that he did good. And gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. I like him. He's good. I like him because he's honest and true. That's my attraction to God. He's true in his character. He doesn't deceive. He's not a charlatan. He's not someone who talks behind your back. He's not someone who betrays you. He's not someone who chooses somebody else over you. He's not. He does not mislead you. God is genuine through and through. I like him. I like him for these qualities. Psalms 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Everything he says is just. Oh, we want justice. We want equality. We want equanimity. We want everything to be level so that everyone has the same opportunity. Everyone has the same judgment. Everyone has the same fair shake at life. That's what we want. That's what God is. In Psalms 119, 160, it says, Your word is true from the beginning. Every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Jeremiah 10, 10 says, The Lord is a true God. He's the living God, an everlasting King. At His wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide His indignation. When they go wrong. Hebrews six eighteen. Here's one of the best things about God that I can tell you. He does not lie. God tells no lies. Wouldn't that be wonderful if everybody you met told the truth? All the time, all the truth, every way, just the truth. God doesn't lie. There's no lie. By two immutable things, Hebrews 6.18, in which it was impossible for God to lie. Truth and veracity. 
He does not deceive. Whatever he says will happen. Whatever he tells you is right. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to happen. It's true. Now, if you're having problems in your life, having difficulties, trying to get adjusted, get on the right track, get in the Word. Go to the Word. Read about Jesus. Read all the texts of, of, of the writers of the New Testament. Read the Old Testament. Read God's Word. Let His Word soak in and understand this, that there are answers for every problem you have, and they are the right answers. The right answers. You'll get it straight, and you'll get it from God who cannot lie and will not lie to you at all. Titus 1 verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He promised you eternal life. All you have to do is straighten up and fly right. That's what our parents used to tell us. Do it right. Love God. Keep His commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, and you know what I'll give you? I'll give you eternal life. Now, we don't know what that's going to be like. But we know it's going to be better than it is here. And it's pretty good right here. It's pretty good right here. But it's going to be much better there. Now, John 3, verse 33. He has received his, his uh, testimony that, and his seal that God is true. God made deities that are unreliable. Man-made deities that are unreliable, not God. Man-made deities that are unreliable. Thousands of them. I mentioned a few. The Greeks and the Romans and the, the uh, Hindus and so forth. But all these deities are unreliable. Can you imagine having a, a God that had a penchant for sugar? Can you imagine a God that had a, had a desire to maybe hurt people? Can you imagine following a God that that was unreliable. You didn't know what they were going to do from this time to the next. We used to have a, some friends. They're gone now. I think they're both dead. But they had some little boys. They had one little girl. Finally had one little girl. But they had some little boys that were pretty rowdy. And the woman, the mother, was, was unpredictable. You just didn't know what she was going to do. So one, sometimes one of the little guys, they were little bitty guys when we knew them, He'd come up and say something, maybe hold up a toy or something, and the mother would slap him because she was unreliable. She didn't, they didn't know what was going to happen. Can you imagine a baby not being able to trust the mama? And other times she'd grab him up in his arms, just hug him and kiss him and carry him around. But the kid didn't know what to expect. Never knew what to expect. The mother could do anything. Can you imagine serving a God that you wouldn't know what to expect. You, there are people now that are trying to second-guess God. They're, they're trying to think, well, God will accept this, or He won't accept that, or He'll do this, or He won't do that. He's not going to condemn these people to, to hell. He's, he's going to take everybody over here to heaven. All of a sudden, we've got all these concepts that God is, God is going to just, just compose different things, and who knows what He's going to do when time comes for judgment. However, the point is, God is true. And whatever he says in his word is exactly what's going to happen. Now, I love him for that. I'll tell you what, I love him. I love that about him. 
that he will sanctify them through thy truth. John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. We are in a society that is hot one day and cold the next. Man himself is so unstable. Who knows what's going to happen next? We don't know what's going to happen in this country next. We don't know. Were you startled when Putin invaded another country, Ukraine, or were you startled about that? I couldn't figure it out. Why would, why would a dictator start a war with another country? Why would this happen? It just didn't make any sense to me. But things like this happen all the time. Things are going on all the time in this world, and you don't know because man is unstable. But God is not unstable. I don't trust man, but I'll tell you what, I trust God. But I can't trust man. There is no suspicion and doubt that surrounds our God, but suspicion and doubt darken our confidence in one another all of the time. All of the time. But God is true. And God is gracious. Irrespective of how we have behaved toward Him, God is patient with us. He, he is both kind and He's merciful. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, God is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He's long-suffering to usward. He's waiting. He wants you, and guess what? He'll wait for you. He'll wait for you. Isn't that nice? He'll wait until you get out of your system. He'll wait for you to straighten up. He'll wait for you to come to Him and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. I repent, and He'll accept it because God is gracious. He's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, Moses was talking about God, and he said, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin, and will by no means acquit the guilty. Which means, if you don't change, it doesn't mean that he's going to be gracious toward you, but you have to change. He won't acquit the guilty, but he will take his pleasure in those who will repent and come to him. Psalms 111 verse 4 says, He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalms 112.4 Under the upright there arises night in the, light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Okay. You know what I've said this morning? I've said I love God for all of these reasons. Because He's gracious. He's been gracious to me. I love God because He's good. I love God because He's true. I know His character. So if the commandment startles you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. It's because you don't know Him. If that stuns you. If you say, why should I love Him? Then the, then the point is, get better acquainted with Him. Once you know Him, you will love Him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your vigor. Get acquainted with Him and love Him. Because God is great. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.